All right, my name is Tim Ryan. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Southland, and uh, so glad you're here. I want to give just a little bit of a, a, a family uh, news update here. Uh, one of our members, Dave Nickel, married to Tina Nickel, Dave passed away this last Saturday uh, due to a heart attack, and we had the funeral here uh, just a couple of days ago on Friday. And just a wonderful funeral, wonderful time together and uh, with his family and friends and, and actually a whole lot of people that came to support the family. So we want to remember them as a family, many of their friends. And uh, so, um, yeah, there's uh, Jackie and Mike Braisky. Jackie's a daughter. And then there's also Jared and Cheryl, a son and daughter-in-law. And then together, uh, there's four grandsons that are... Uh, part of Dave and Tina's grandson. So we want to remember to pray for them as a family. So let's pray together, and then we'll get right into this message. God, we want to thank you so much for this time that we can be together as the church, as a body. Thank you for, for this service. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you that we can worship you, that we can try even in our, in our finite minds, our small minds compared to you, God, that we can try to catch a glimpse of who you are, what you're like, how, how powerful, how holy, how great you are. And I ask God that you will continue to teach us and, and, and press that into our hearts. Father, we want to thank you for the way that you have walked with Tina and the family over this, these last seven days. You've encouraged them. You've strengthened them. You've, you've blessed them with, with family and friends around to support them. And God, you have, you have carried them. And we ask, God, now in the days, the weeks, the months to come, the Holy Spirit, you would minister to them. You would comfort them. You'd help them as they walk through the grief. And Jesus, we ask your blessing upon their friends, the friends of Dave that are missing Dave as well. Would you encourage them and draw them to yourself? Help us as a body to know how to encourage them as well. So God, now as we move into this message, we're asking you to speak to us. We're asking you to challenge us. We're asking you, God, as we open up our hearts and our minds to you and to your word, we're asking you, to speak as we listen. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, this is the last, believe it or not, this is the last in the series of character. I think we've been going nine, ten weeks already, and, and many of you have responded in various ways, and some of you are going, ah, like some of the stuff we're talking about is tough. It's hard to work on. But this is the last message, and in a couple of weeks, we're hoping you should be able to get the DVDs and the CDs of the whole series. So I want to encourage you, if, you, if you've missed some, to pick it up either online or purchase the DVDs or videos uh, in the next couple of weeks. Pastor Ray will be back uh, this week, and will be speaking next weekend. He's been gone for a few, uh, few weeks uh, with a study break and a bit of vacation as well. And many of us as staff get a little nervous when he comes back from a study break like this because it means a lot more work for us. And, uh, but we're, we've missed him. We're looking forward to coming back. So he'll begin a brand new series next weekend. In this series on character... We have uh, tackled some of, the, some of the character issues of steadfastness, humility, patience, integrity, how to handle unfair treatment, love. 
Let me briefly and quickly help us to look at and be reminded of two key points from the first two messages that Pastor Chris Jerkson gave at the beginning of the series. And he asked that I actually remind us briefly of those things as we come to the end of the series. In message number one, he said that godly character prepares us for life in Jesus' kingdom. We could, simply, we could simplify that and say that character is about our behavior, our actions, the things you do, the way you live. It's the way you and I treat people. It's also the way you and I behave when nobody's looking, when nobody's watching us. The important point here, and here's the thing, that the quality of our character right now is no accident. The quality of the character in your life and my life is simply an accumulation of the choices that you and I have made, the behaviors we've engaged in, the things we have done up until this point today. Who we are in our character is because of what we've done and what we've lived and what we've chosen to do. It's our fault. A main reason why godly character matters is that it carries over into the next lifetime. It carries over into eternity. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Now, the first thing that Paul says here is that exercise has some value. I'm still trying to figure out what value, but it still has value apparently. But more importantly, the training of our character, the training of godliness. What's fascinating in this passage is the reason Paul gives as to why it's important to train your character for godliness. He says that godly character holds promise for this present life and the life to come. Wait a minute, the life to come? I thought it was all about today and eternity will take care of itself. You and I will take our character with us after we die. How many of us have heard the saying, you can't take it with you? It is a true saying, and it refers to the fact that you and I can't take the stuff we accumulate in this lifetime. We can't take our cars, our money, our cottages, our houses, our toys, big or little. We can't take them with us after we die. But how many of us know that there is something, and that's our character, that we take with us after we die? Interesting for me is... As over this last week, I was preparing and working on the funeral that we had on Friday, and then also working on this message, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, you know, there's a tough question here. What will your funeral look like? What will mine look like? I mean, as we, we sat through the viewing on Thursday night and this funeral on Friday afternoon, and and Dave's a good man. He's not perfect. None of us are perfect. But Dave's a good man. He's a gentle man. We're going to miss him. And I got to reflect and go, what's going to be said at our funeral? What will be said? Because our character matters now, but our character will 
carry on beyond us. Paul says that we need to train ourselves in godly character in this lifetime because it holds promise for the next lifetime. There's a carryover from this lifetime into the next. In other words, who you are, who I am in this lifetime affects who you will be and who I will be in the next lifetime. If you and I do not develop godly character in this lifetime, we will be lacking something forever in the next. Message number two. Pastor Chris talked about godly character will require hard work. Oh, shoot. I wasn't bargaining for the hard work, were you? For me to grow in godly character, God must work in me and I must work at it. The first thing we need to realize is that godly character will not just happen to you and me. It takes hard work. Godly character won't just happen to you by accident. God won't just do it to you. He's not like the fairy godmother of Cinderella that floats around and with a magic wand goes bippity-boppity-boo. Poof! I'm changed. It doesn't work that way. It takes hard work. The process of character formation requires your participation and your energy. It requires effort and intentionality. We have to pursue it. Look at two short statements in Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. You know, I can't walk up to Brad, my friend, and say, Brad, would you run a couple of laps, do some exercise for me, and I'll feel a lot better? It doesn't work that way. It, it means that if I want exercise, I have to exercise, not Brad. I don't think he needs exercise at this point, but wait till you hit the 40s. Okay, it'll hit you. Okay? But I need to exercise myself. My godliness, I need to do myself. Nobody else can do it for me. We'll, we'll talk about that later, how God and I work together. But I have to take my own effort. For this reason, it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, for this reason make every effort, effort, to supplement your faith with virtue, with godly character. Becoming a person of godly character takes effort. You're going to have to want it. I love that phrase because I love cheese whiz. You know you want it. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You're going to have to be committed to work towards it. All right, let's move on. What's, what's the character quality that we're going to talk about this morning? It's gentleness gentleness. And it's my intent to be as practical as possible in this because gentleness is not one of those things you can put up here in your head. It has to come through your life. Gentleness is being kind, amiable, mild, polite. There's a sense in the root word of being refined and noble and it has a sense of royalty to it. Gentleness. There's no wussiness in gentleness, if that's even a word. 
You can't be a wuss and be gentle. There's a strength of character in order to be gentle. It's not for the wet noodle kind of people. It's not a roll over and play dead and well, whatever. Gentleness is a strength. Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher from about 100 years ago, said this. Gentleness may well be called the Christian spirit. It is a distinguishing disposition in the hearts of Christians to be identified as Christians. All who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. Gentleness is a very real part and parcel of God's character. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah writes, Isaiah 40, he says, Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. Power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. And we sang about that. His holiness, his awesomeness, his bigness. There's a power there. The very next verse says, He will feed his flock. Like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. There's an incredible balance that God has between his power and his gentleness. How do we see God? Many of us see God on the harsh side, the hard side of love. Maybe that's what we grew up with. Maybe that's what we were taught. And there is an incredible balance of the power and of the gentleness. You may remember the story in 1 Kings of the prophet Elijah. And there was that big contest that he had between the prophets of Baal and God. And they had a big battle there and they were as to who was real. And if you remember the story, the prophets of Baal were trying to get their gods to do something with a sacrifice. And, and I, as I reflect on it, I go, Elijah wasn't very nice. He mocked them. He taunted them. He was actually quite mean. Eventually, they gave up, and he says, okay. So he prayed, and God showed up just boom with a, 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 an incredible display of fire. And that fire licked up all the water that he had poured on top of the sacrifice, burnt up all the sacrifices, destroyed the altar, everything. It's amazing. But then, on threat of his life, Elijah ran away. He actually disobeyed God. He ran away. And God goes to find him. God knows where he is. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain and it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Oh, Elijah knew about that fire. He remembers that fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. 
When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God is, is, is so, has that so balance of that power, even striking fear in some cases, but that gentleness. But Jesus is the same thing. There's a prophecy in Isaiah 42 about Jesus. And he says, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. As I reflect on Jesus in the Gospels, it's incredible as he moved amongst people and he touched people, the people that actually came to him looking for help, looking for healing, looking for hope, looking for help, he treated gently. But the ones who were arrogant, the ones who thought they had it all together, the ones who thought he was out of line, the ones who had their knowledge all worked out, those are the ones he pushed. Those are the ones he went after. Even Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees, and was one of them, when he came to meet Jesus in the night, he spoke gently to this Pharisee, this religious leader. Because Jesus says here in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Come, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because, Jesus says, I am humble and gentle at heart. That's God's character. That's how Jesus lived it and demonstrated because it was his character. And then there's more biblical teachings in Scripture that says, okay, now you and I who desire to follow Jesus and obey him, it says. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Colossians 3, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. It's a part of our life. Okay. So you may be thinking, well, why do I need gentleness in my life? And maybe if you're thinking a little deeper, why do I have to sit here and listen to Tim? Well, you might as well. You're here anyways. Lunch isn't being served for a while, so you got some time. But why? why? Why do I need this gentleness? Well, first of all, according to Galatians chapter 5, it is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There are nine fruit in Galatians 5. And they are not optional. They are not the you-pick variety. You and I go to the grocery store and we pick out the fruit that we like. Don't we? But scripture says we need all of it. In fact, gentleness, topic at hand, 
must be a part of our life. It's not an option. But gentleness also has incredible power. Incredible power. I don't know if you remember the story many years ago. If you, if you know, know where it is, please tell me. I've said that in all the services so far. Nobody has come to tell me. I don't know where the story is. I just remember the story. The cloud and the sun are having a discussion. And it gets into a little bit of a disagreement, a little bit of a jousting together. And the sun says to the cloud, see that man walking down there on earth? He's got that jacket on. I bet you I can make him take his jacket off. Ta! Ha! The cloud says, as if. I'll start. I can do it. So he goes and he bolsters up, if that's the right word, gets big, and he starts to rain on him, hail on him, and and blow and spit all over him, all that kind of stuff. And the, and the man's just, hold, just clutching the jacket closer and closer all the time. And the sun's just laughing at the cloud. Finally, the cloud gives up. So the sun just pushes the cloud away. He says, you watch this. The sun begins to glow. And he shines. And he warms it up a little bit. And he turns the heat up just ever so gently. Sure as anything, there's the man taking his coat off, putting his arm and continuing to walk. Gentleness has power. Gentleness has power to move people. Gentleness has power to change marriages. Gentleness has a power to bring peace and calm to situations of stress and conflict. And if you ever really want to be liked, gentleness is a good character quality to have. Nobody likes really moving close to a brash, kind of arrogant, kind of porcupine kind of person. <laughs> Gentlemen, if you're looking for a girlfriend... Gentleness is a very good key to have. There is one caveat, though, with gentleness. There is no guarantee for results. You know that. Many of you could come to me and go, I tried it. It didn't work. I know. It doesn't always work, but that doesn't matter because it's obedience. God is gentle. Jesus is gentle. The Apostle Paul, scriptures teach us to be gentle. Therefore, we will be gentle whether it reaps results or not. It will eventually win out. And as I, as I percolated on that a little bit, I was thinking about it. I go, yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't always work. But God understands that too. See, God is gentle. But it doesn't always bring the results he so much desires, but he's still gentle. God continues to be gentle with every single one of us. And he is gentle and he brings blessings and he brings all kinds of things. He shows kindness and goodness to us whether we recognize it or not. He's always showing kindness to everyone. Do we always respond? No, we don't. And yes, there are times when God turns the heat up a little bit. Because he's trying to draw us, trying to get us to look to him and move to him. But in every way possible, he wants to be gentle and he acts 
gently with us. Well, how, how, do, how do I know, how do you know if you have gentleness in your life? How, how do you know if you do? Well, ask yourself, am I gentle? Yes, I am. No, ask yourself deeper. Am I opinionated? Oh, okay, we all have opinions, but, but do we let everyone else know our opinions? Do we make sure everybody hears our opinions again and again and again? Are we judgmental? Do we hold judgments towards things, people, issues? Do we get frustrated? And sometimes that frustration leads to anger, which could lead to violent actions or even violent thoughts. Oh, we know these thoughts, so we're not going to hurt anyone, but our mind just rolls, and we growl. Our thoughts start getting frustrated and angry and, and, and a little bit of violence, if not more. Do you get annoyed? How about pet peeves? We all have pet peeves, don't we? I'm not going to tell you who they, I mean what they are. But we all have them. But is our list of pet peeves actually growing? Uh, that, that's an issue. We get annoyed, we get frustrated. Do we lack compassion? Do we lack humility? Do we lack understanding? Do we lack forgiveness? In Galatians chapter 5, just before the Apostle Paul gives the, uh, the, the whole nine fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the desires of the sinful nature and some of the results. And he lists them. And he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he lists a bunch of them that are actually, as you look at them, are contrary to gentleness. So if we wrestle with any of these, that's a sign that we're struggling with gentleness. Do we have the results of hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and envy. Any of these should give us an indication that, ah, oh, yeah, gentleness is something I need to work on, something I'm lacking. There, there's a phrase that I heard many, many years ago that you cannot not communicate. You cannot not communicate. In other words, if you don't have gentleness and you have some of these other things in your life, you will leak. I will leak those things and other people will see it. So we ask ourselves, but maybe that's a good reason then turn around and ask others. How, how am I doing? Do, ask your friends, your family. You know, ask my wife and kids. No, don't ask my wife and kids. You, you could ask some of this. No, don't ask the staff, okay? Don't, don't do that. Ask the people around you. Am I gentle? And here's the key. Don't say, prove it. 
Okay? Don't say, give me all the examples. Huh? If they say to you gently, okay, your friend has to respond to you gently, or you can go, wrong answer. If they say to you gently, you know what? You do have some issues. You, you're not as gentle as maybe I think you could be or should be. And you say, okay. I was talking to a couple of young adults this week. I think we were talking about the message. And these two young adults happened to be a part of my youth group a number of years ago. And, and they, were, they were telling me, you know, there, there were times, Tim, when, when we could tell you were, you were frustrated at what was all going on. A little bit of disorganization, uh, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of disobedience, whatever. And, and, and I would get frustrated, and, and I would probably bordered on anger. And they said to me, when you got to that point, you were so stern. You, you were actually a little bit scary. And I go, like, really? Like, like really? And they go, well, yeah. Well, prove it. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but, and I said, thank you. I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't really realize that. Ask others. They'll tell you. But, but if you really want to push it, <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you. He'll tell me. He'll tell us. But where, where do we need gentleness? Where does that work? Because we can't just walk out of here and go, I need to have gentleness. And then we move on. How does this work? Because you're going to bump up against situations where you have to be gentle. How do I do this? You and I are in relationships, in marriages or in families, in friendships. We're involved or we're leading and we're involved in school and, and at work as employees or employers and we're co-workers and we're in ministry and we're, we're in community. There's all these kinds of things. We're going to bump up against people in situations where we have to be gentle. So let's take a couple of scenarios. How does this work? Let's, for instance, let's talk about what happens when someone we know is in sin and they need to be corrected? I think most of us have bumped up against that kind of, what do we do? Well, let's, let's pull a scenario out of the air. Okay? So out of the air, let's pull up, uh, say our friend or family member is involved in adultery. Okay, I'll confess I have a little bit of an agenda. Stay with me, please. You see, you and I know that adultery is wrong. Oh, we know all the Bible verses. Should I remind us of those Bible verses? Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Pretty clear. Leviticus 20, if a man and a woman commits adultery with his neighbor's wife or husband, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Am I ever glad we are not working or living in the Old Testament? That's not a good thing. Proverbs 6.32, But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Matthew 5, you have heard, Jesus said this, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. 
We know it. So what happens is we're, we're up against a friend that's either involved in adultery or any other sin, and we go, I've got to do something. So we either want to throttle them or slap them or take our Bible and whack them over the head. Do not do that. But what do we do? The friend or the family member, what do we care deeply about? What do we do? Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul did in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He writes, Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter. The matter is in the context, sexual immorality, sexual sin, and lustful passion. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you, solemnly, seriously warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone, listen, therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, even though it is, but is rejecting God. Oh, man. When I came across this in the last couple of weeks, as I was working through my Bible reading plan, that we're doing as a church, I was hit by this, and I go, Wow, what do I do with this? I have had, I have had many, many individuals and couples in my office over the last number of years wrestling with the sin of adultery. And I treat them with respect and dignity and as much gentleness as I can. And I've seen many of them fixed and healed. Thank God. And, and a thing like adultery, there's, there's always hope. There's always hope for healing. I remember one particular man that's in my mind. I sat down at my desk. I sat down at my desk. We were talking in my office. And I pushed my Bible towards him gently. And I said to him, what part of the Ten Commandments don't you understand? I then touched my Bible again. And I said, what part of adultery don't you understand? Actually, what I should have done is exactly what Paul did. I should have rolled up my office chair right up to him, grabbed his hands, and say, please, I beg you, by the mercy of God, for God's sake, don't do it. Get out. Run away. Don't sin. Please, don't. There's no place for me to take my Bible and whack them. That's the place, as Paul says, to get her in there and say, please, don't sin. Run away. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, I'm not talking godly. I'm talking people like you and me that want to follow Jesus. We're obeying him. We're walking with him. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And then there's a warning. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That's how we handle sin. In other people's lives. 
out of relationship, out of prayer, out of care and compassion for this person, we approach them gently and we say, please, for your sake, for your family, for the people you know, for God's sake, don't do it. One, one more thing I need to say about this. And, and, I've, and I've heard this and, and, and it, 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 it unsettles me. Let's not be presumptuous about God's forgiveness. I've had some people say, I've, I've heard it myself and I've heard other conversations. You know what? It's okay. God will forgive me. I'll, I'll, I'll do this, but God will forgive me down the road. <laughs> that is thin ice. I know God is gracious and God is all forgiving, but oh, don't go down that road. Not at all. Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery and then he told her, go and sin no more. Jesus did not die on the cross so we could say, oh well, I know Jesus will forgive me then. God's grace did not come cheap, so let's not treat it as cheap. In this area of gentleness, what do we do then with people who have made a mistake and need to be corrected? See, some mistakes are sin and some aren't. We need to know the difference and treat accordingly. James chapter 2. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Matthew 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Parents, how do we handle our children when there's a mistake? How do we handle that? Where's our value, as Pastor Chris talked about a while ago, I think it was in the No Regrets Parenting. Do we value them over and above the mistake? Mistakes have to be corrected. But how do we treat them? Is there gentleness? What about bosses? Supervisors, lead hands, foremen, any one of us that are involved in it and are in charge of others or lead others, how do we treat the people that work under us? So with gentleness? What do we do with uh, someone who's going through a hard time and needs to be comforted? How do we handle them with gentleness? Interesting conversation I had with a lady in the lobby just a couple of weeks ago. She said to me, you know what? I used to judge people with depression and say, like, get over it and do this and do that. But six months ago, I wrestled with depression myself. Now I understand. I'm a lot more patient and a lot more gentle and a lot more understanding. You know what? It doesn't matter if you and I understand what somebody is going through. We still have to treat them gently. 
A number of years ago, my wife and I were in, uh, in a restaurant in British Columbia having brunch um, with some friends of ours. And uh, we're sitting in this restaurant, and uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a people watcher, so I happened to notice the one waitress, the one server that came by our table. And I could instantly see on her face, this is not a good morning. It, she just looked wrecked. Like, it just, it, you could just see it all over her face and the way she walked, and it didn't take long till she dropped a big tray. I don't know why they give servers big trays. It just means more to spill. And she had this big tray with all the dishes she had cleaned off a table. She took one or two steps and everything fell, including her. And you could hear the whole restaurant go, I don't know why we do that at restaurants. We hear a glass break in the kitchen and we go, it's only a glass. But everyone went <gasps> like that. And then across, I noticed a lady, kind of an older lady, look over and kind of, huh, <laughs> like just this, this look of disgust. And I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea. You have no, okay, I know I, know I was judging this other person, but I didn't talk to her. fourth time around, I realized, boy, that was a bad example. That's just not a good... Anyways, I was thinking to myself, oh dear. Yeah, thank you. I'm human. Yes, I am. Thank you. You're gentle. You're a gentle man. Yes. I thought to myself, you know what? You have no idea What's going on in this young woman's life? You have no idea what she woke up to. You have no idea what happened yesterday. You have no idea what's happened in her whole life. We can't judge. We can't have an opinion on people like that. Being understanding because of their issues and their struggles. We need to be gentle. How do we serve customers and clients and people that come to us? How do we treat servers? How do we treat gas bar attendants, salespeople, people whose job it is to serve you? <laughs> well, I mean, that server didn't do very good. There's no tip for her. Why not? Well, because she was grumpy. Do you have any reason why she was grumpy? I don't know. Maybe she needs a double tip because of what's going on in her life. Maybe she needs a boost. Maybe she needs encouragement. You don't stop and go, well, why are you so grumpy? <laughs> but maybe just a little bit of understanding and a double tip might send her happier on the way. How do we practice gentleness? How do we put it together? We need to focus. Is it about me or is it about the other person? 
Philippians chapter 2 says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Do you value the person? Is it about me or is it about the other person? Then you have to check your motive. Ask yourself, how I'm feeling and what I feel like doing, is it punishment, anger, payback, revenge, save face, because we might look bad, cover embarrassment, or protect a reputation? Quite a number of years ago, when my oldest son Josh was five or six years old, we were attending a different church at that point, and we were in the lobby just talking, and I'm a talker. I just love to sit around and talk to people. And he was grabbed onto my hand. Come on, Dad, let's go. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, 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 just a minute. And he, he was so determined that he actually pulled me right over and I fell on top of him and fell right in the middle of the lobby. <laughs> Everyone went, <"Hoo!" laughs> And I was embarrassed. So I grabbed him sternly. And I spoke to him sternly. It was about me. It wasn't about him. And I was out of line. You know, I had breakfast this morning. I apologized to him. Because it only came to me this week as I was working on the message. And God said, hmm. So we're all good. We're all good. So how do we grow? How do we grow that gentleness? Because you can't, in many ways, you just can't do it. Remember, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the fruit of gentleness. Ask him to, he wants to give it to you. Ask him for all nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Ask for all of them while you're at it, but ask for the fruit of gentleness. And then as you're interacting with another person that's testing your gentleness, you have to realize in your mind to know God's gentleness for that person. God loves that person too. No matter what's going on, he loves them and he wants to be gentle. And then you confess all bad feelings, all thoughts, all bad attitudes that are contrary to gentleness that you hold towards this person. And then you intercede and you pray like mad. That's what intercede means. Pray like mad for that person. Samuel, in the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel, knew that Saul, the king that he had anointed for kingship, had desperately sinned against God. And God had told him, Saul is done. He will no longer be king. And Samuel went to God and he wept and he prayed all night for him. And then he went the next day to find, to find him. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 15. I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, God says, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this, he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. A big problem. Then he went on to Gilgal. And then he confronted him, and I, re I believe he received how to confront him and how to talk to him as he wept and prayed for him all night. And then it says, Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. He mourned constantly for him. 
The people that rub us the wrong way, the people that test our gentleness, do we pray? Do we seek to understand? Do we have compassion? And are we humble before God as we come to God about these people that test our gentleness? And these people that need gentleness in our lives. Let's conclude. We come to the end of this whole series on character. And I want to encourage you and challenge you that to go over this series again, to go online or, or, or buy the CD, DVD when they're out in a few weeks, because it's so important. So we talked about the beginning, Pastor Chris talked about way at the beginning. Godly character prepares us for life in Jesus' kingdom. Godly character matters, it carries over into the next lifetime. There's a carryover from this lifetime into the next. In other words, who we are in this lifetime affects who we will be in the next, in eternity. And then we need to acknowledge our own need of God's work. I need God to work in me. And I must humble myself. We must humble ourselves before God and say, Oh God, change me. Fix me, heal me, do whatever you need to do in my life to make me into a man of character, a woman of character. And then begin and continue doing and acting. Not just acting, but walking it out. Godly character will require hard work on our part. For me to grow in godly character, God must work in me and I must work at it. And the bottom line is we're working on this character is we have to depend on Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. There's that tension of working it out and doing what we need to do and allowing Jesus to work. We must grow in character. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so patient with us. Lord Jesus, you are so gentle with us. And Jesus, we come to you and we ask you to help us. And we ask you to forgive us when we haven't responded to your gentleness and your kindness. Please, Jesus, don't stop being gentle with us. Move us, draw us closer to you, Jesus. Make us gentle people. Develop in us all the character qualities, the fruit and other qualities that you talk about in your word, Jesus. We want to follow you. We want to be like you. We give ourselves to you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to work in our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our souls, and our bodies. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We depend on you. Help us, we pray in your name. Amen.